This week on Excelsior Journeys, actor and voice artist Ellen Dubin takes us from the faraway world of Abraxas all the way to Arrakis, with multiple stops along the way, including Preston, Ohio, the organic spacecraft Lex, and a galaxy far, far away. You're in for an amazing and inspiring voyage, so JLD, do the honors. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for you? And that's you, why I moment? taught myself how to draw, was actually the Little Mermaid, drawing stills of Ariel. I've got better things to do tonight than so die. So jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater with him saying, I'm going to write home. I'm rather sense. impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the car. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just do it. You know, yeah. throw some spaghetti yeah. against the wall. See this if it is sticks. George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for tuning in for over 100 episodes. And I am thrilled to announce that the show has a new home. It is now on Captivate. And if you are a, an up-and-coming podcaster, someone who really wants to get into it, you definitely need to get involved with Captivate. It is an amazing, amazing site. And they have so many great tools for podcasters that will get you going for beginners. It will get you going further than you ever thought for established podcasters. It is just an absolute joy to work with them. They're great people too. High, highest recommendation for Captivate. And I'm also proud to say that the show is now part of the Rising Tide Broadcast Network. So if you are a fan of hearing some really great stories from all these, all these great, uh, different, inspiring and motivating and very funny and just very colorful hosts. You definitely want to go to YouTube. You definitely want to look up the Rising Tide Broadcast Network. Now, if you are a fan of really good, diverse people that really make a point to go through as many different fields as possible, I am definitely in that boat having, I've always considered myself like doing four quadrants, the author, the podcaster, the voice actor, and the audiobook narrator. And when I saw what Ellen Dubin has been doing throughout her career, I knew she definitely needed to be on this show because I absolutely loved taking a look through her Wikipedia page and seeing that you just can't pin her down. And I love that. She has done movies. She has done uh, mo movies on television. She was Eileen in Napoleon Dynamite. She was also on shows like Forever Night, Gone in the Night, Lex on Sci-Fi. She has been on Highlander, The Raven. Earth Final Conflict, just so many great things and just so many great fan bases too. She has also been the voice of Captain Phasma on Lego Star Wars, The Resistance Rises. And she was also Captain Phasma on regular Star Wars Resistance. It's just been th you know thrilling to see how far she has gone. I know the sky's the limit, especially considering that she has lent her voice to a planet way far away, which is planet Arrakis, also known as Dune. I am so thrilled to have Ellen here to also share with us her experiences being part of the biggest thing that's going on right now in theaters. It is my absolute thrill to present to you Ellen Dubin. Ellen, how are you? Oh my God, what an introduction. Thank you so much. I'm I'm so happy to be here that you've done your homework and who I am. That's wonderful. And congratulations on over, was it a hundred episodes? It's uh it's coming up on I think I think this would be either 110 or 111. Oh, that's amazing. Congratulations yeah. on that. That's quite a coup. Thank you thank for having me. I'm looking forward to it. I and thank you too. And and I didn't even mention the video games or the the great thing that you're doing right now for Miss Wheelchair USA. So before we jump in and talk about you, can you tell us a little bit about that? About Miss Wheelchair USA? I was a couple of years ago, I, I want to tell you how that came about. Yeah, I'm telling you, you never know where your next gig or your next charity event's going to happen. I was at San Diego Comic-Con a couple of years ago, Excellent. and I met this wonderful uh, sci-fi producer, and he was involved with the woman running Miss Wheelchair USA. And she, he said, you're very personable. Would you be interested? Yes. He didn't even have to finish. <laughs> that's great. That is great. And that's something that I truly love about this is just like so many people just want to confine themselves to just one thing, one genre, and just really see what they can do there. But to just keep going in as many different directions as possible, 
it's a brilliant move career wise. Thank you. Well, I think it started off actually originally, let's be honest, that when you're starting out, mm-hmm. uh, for me, starting out in Canada, we kind of had to do everything here to, to make a living and pay our rent. Mm-hmm. So I would, I started in theater, started in ballet, actually. And then I went into musical theater and mm-hmm. then started taking classes at Second City. I always was one that was striving like wow. at the beginning. Yeah, I've done a lot of different little things just to make sure that my career would be interesting for myself and for audiences. And if mm-hmm. I was afraid of it, I yeah. had to do it. It's sort of a weird thing. Like I, if it's challenging and it's a little bit scary, I, I need to add that to my resume. Nice. And I think that's a lot of, of why sometimes I'll, I'll do something. I think I read somewhere that Anthony Hopkins, every time he went on stage or every time he did a movie, he always got butterflies in his stomach. And he said, the day that you don't have butterflies in your stomach, mm-hmm. then you should pack it up. And I agree with that. There should always be a childlike excitement or you want to barf backstage. Yeah. Right? And, and not only that, but it seems like uh, what Anthony does, from what I understand, is that he makes a point to memorize the entire script whenever he's doing something. So that way, whenever he's with someone and they go dry he can provide them with the line that's and what i do yeah because yeah, like that's i mean that is that's a, a matter of almost like kind of putting putting that extra pressure on yourself to make sure that you don't get those to make sure that you do get those butterflies because right. you're you're helping out other people too while you're getting up there right and i really do believe that the best actors are great listeners so that means that he's probably well He's a consummate actor. I, I oh, bow yeah. down to him. But you really have to listen. And, and you don't know what some, especially on stage where you can't retake it. Mm-hmm. It's live, which I find, you know, fascinating. Yeah. And you really have to listen because somebody, I've been on stage where someone's gone three pages ahead and forgot the next Whoa. line. You're like, oh, okay, oh let me wow. get, formulate this. Or somebody's uh, not shown up on stage because something's happened backstage or they've ended up in the bathroom longer and they mm-hmm. missed you and you're that's where improv comes in handy you're stalling oh do i hear mr smith outside the door there oh, <laughs> he's on his way oh okay well look at this lovely living room here <laughs> <laughs> i still remember in in high school my senior year in high school i was doing a i was doing a production because it was my first time i'd gotten over like several years of stage fright finally got got up a backup on the screen and it was just an amazing experience getting to play three different roles in one show and it was a greater tuna i oh yes i took that play i read that play no kidding i know greater tuna believe it or not i i played i played the police sergeant i was the minister and i was uh one of the two djs thurston and so much fun Wrote it. Was, Joe Sears and Jason Williams, I think you wrote it. That, those, yeah, those I think you're right. I think you're yeah. right. Yeah, it was it was such an it was so much so much fun to do. And when I was getting ready to go out as the preacher, I remember getting around to you know the other side of the stage, getting the change really quickly. And I felt really good about myself because I was getting there so far ahead of time. And I get back over and I get in a position, and my friend looks at me and just goes, Where's your hat? Damn it. <laughs> go back around, go get it, come back around. And I just barely made the made it there in time. It was so but it, I mean, it's one of those things just like it's just so much fun doing that. It's like in the Dark Knight Rises, getting to make that jump without the rope. And listen, we could do a whole show on the fiascos on the stage, but <laughs> very exciting, very exciting stuff. Crazy. Oh, yeah. Now, with with that in mind, though, I'm, I'm curious, and since we were we know like how you started, but there's one thing that I always talk about on this show, and that's what I call the lightning bolt moment. And that's that moment that everyone experiences when they when they see something, hear someone, meet someone or something. And it just has you forced to like kind of point in that direction and say, that's what I want to do. That's the kind of person that I want to be. What was that for you with acting? That's the first time I've ever been asked that. And that's a fantastic question. I, I, I'm going to start off by saying I never wanted to be an actor. That's very important because the really? light bulb is going to be even bigger or the light lightning bolt. Yeah. I would say because of my ballet, my, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a ballet dancer. And long story short, I had an injury at 19 that kind mm. of put a hindrance on my career. Mm-hmm. I was at a big audition in New York and I did, I don't know what a plie is. It's a deep oh, yeah. bend. It's just mm-hmm. sort of one of the basic things. And I was in front of a huge panel of judges mm-hmm. and to get into a big company in New York. 
and I literally fell down. Like I literally, my knee buckled. It literally split in the middle. Yeah. And that was that. And that was was at the showcase? Like to. I was at the audition to get into the school, to get into the company, to (gasps) school. And it was my dream and it was the company I wanted to be in. It was in the U.S. and I was in New York. Mm-hmm. And I literally in front of probably 30 people, I can still see the faces. And I, can, and I don't remember much, but I remember doing the deep knee bend and crumbling to the floor because and I tried to get up. But something happened to my knee. I think the meniscus ripped or some weird thing. Uh, patella, something under the patella, which is. Oh, yeah. And. All I remember was sort of somebody lifting me up and I think my mother was waiting outside and then I came home back to Canada. And so to me, that's when I realized that my life at the time was over in quotes. Mm-hmm. And I kind of went back to school and started taking acting in school because I thought it would be an easy credit. Oh, And so the ballet moment, the moment where I had a terrible injury mm-hmm. and my ballet teacher at the time, may she rest in hell because she <laughs> treacherous, horrible, fabulous human being. But she was fabulous in that she instilled the fear of God in you. She was a stereotypical Russian ballet teacher. Oh, my. You know, would hit us with a stick. And but she said to me, this was before the injury. She said, you're never going to be dancer. You're going to be actress. You're a great actress. You have amazing control on stage, but technically not so great. And I, I used to cry at night, and but I used to be able to move an audience. Again, that was a live thing. So that was a light bulb moment for me after the fact, after I had the injury, that this mm-hmm. teacher was so hard on me, yeah. kind of knew she'd been around a long time, and she knew technically I would not be, I would not be able to jump the highest or do 50,000 turns. Like I had friends who were amazing at that stuff. So yeah. that was a light bulb moment for me that I knew I had to get another career. Mm-hmm. So that was one light bulb. And the acting moment for me was when I was doing a show in a basement of a theater. Again, it started mm-hmm. with theater. I was making like 60 bucks a week and oh, a dinner theater. So we'd serve the audience, do a play mm-hmm. in the intermission, serve them some more, do oh, the wow. play, and then at the end, collect the bill. If they didn't run out on you, it was horrible, it was a horrible job wow. of paying your dues. I know they don't have them that much anymore, but well, anyway, and that I realized when I could make people laugh, like I started to get on stage, I went, oh, there's people laughing. Yeah. And I'd sort of go, hmm, because in the mm-hmm. ballet, there wasn't that many comedy th- roles. So I would, but I could hear a pin drop. So the live theater, those moments when I could hear a pin drop or the nonstop laughing. Mm-hmm. For me, it's, it's a drug. It, it is, is a drug. You're yeah. right. It is a <sighs> mighty elixir. Mm. You are, you are so you are so taking me back to that first time I got on stage, and I and I got to perform a sketch that I wrote, and it was oh the best. Oh, it was fabulous. It was just you know like getting on there. I wasn't even supposed to be on stage. I was. It was supposed to be someone else who was going to play the role, and he was just. He just didn't get it. So I had to perform it for the for the crew and everything, just saying, like, letting them know this is what I had in mind. And they were all just like, fine, you do it. And dress rehearsal was the next night. And so being able to just get out there and everything and do it and getting that laugh, that big laugh that I built up the whole sketch sketch toward. And I get it and I get it and I finish up the sketch and I go backstage and my friend just shakes his head, just goes stage fright my ass. <laughs> and it was it's, and that was it. Amazing. I found when I was on the stage, I was I wasn't that confident when I started. And we all have our insecure moments or we would oh, yeah. be beings. But I was really a very shy person. And on the stage, something like you said, it's just like a lightning bolt hits you yeah. and you've got power. And I just embraced it. I love life. There's nothing yeah. like life. Yeah. And yeah, just getting just getting out there and just showing the world what you can do and exactly. you know, and getting that people like to people are, are, are all sometimes they can talk down about uh, about that instant gratification. But damn it, it works because mm-hmm. as soon as you get that, you just want to keep doing it. And next thing you're doing it like eight times a week with two, with. It's two times on Sunday. <laughs> exactly. Two times. But listen, it is instant gratification, but you're also 
people talk about your performances, even on film and television, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more, but they'll talk about it after the fact. And if you can move somebody yeah. to tears or you can move, get somebody to think, or you can get somebody to laugh. I mean, that's for me what it's all about, whether it's yeah. stage, film, television, video games, it's, it's the bottom line for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, Having having gone through that, like everything that you've gone through with working in theater, working in Second City, how, what was it like working in Second City, by the way? Well, I didn't. Well, actually, here's the thing. Interesting. I studied at Second City because I wanted to do improv. And then when I was in L.A., a friend of mine was doing a sketch comedy show and somebody dropped out at the Second City Whoa. on on Melrose Melrose Avenue in Los Angeles. And mm-hmm. I had three days to fill in for a girl. And what did I think about working at the Second City? Oh my God, what a dream come true. You look at the, yeah. you look at the walls mm-hmm. of people. And I mean, I'm a huge fan of John Candy, Eugene Levy that started yep. here in Canada. And Andrea Kevin Martin, Martin, yep, yeah. Andrea Martin, all the people that are, the, the three of them, not Andrea, were in Schitt's Creek. This that's so popular. Oh yeah. Yep. And I, I mean, and Catherine, I, O'Hara, Catherine O'Hara and yeah. Oh, and uh, oh, and Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas, you know. Oh, just, yeah. And did Gilda come from Second City too? Gilda Radner? I think I think she I think she was part of the group from Second City, but she started at SNL. Like that was right. where she, you know, right. really she was part of the group that I think they started out in Second City. Same thing like with Aykroyd. And I know Belushi was working on with the Lampoon. Yes, yes. And um, I think like Bill Murray was also working with uh, Second City. Right. And yeah, just so, I mean, the guy's got Chicago in his blood. So, yeah, exactly. Well, nothing wrong with that. The best best uh, Second Cities is there as well. Right. In Chicago. Absolutely. Oh, my so God. So I, I think it's invaluable to have. I always tell actors to do improv, whether it's at the Growlings or United Citizens, whatever it's called, the Upright, Upright Citizens Brigade. In, in yep. Los UCB. Yep. Yeah, UCB. I love- yeah, it's so great. It's I just amazing people. As well, it's a very yeah. nice people. Yeah. So you know, it, it it was great to have that on the resume, mm-hmm. really. And I never pursued it. At one point, I was interested. There was about a, a half a year period where I wanted to audition for SNL. I thought I love sketch comedy, but then I thought I'm not a good impersonator, and you have to be mm. good at political figures. Yep all that stuff, and that is part of the requirement of the audition because a friend of mine auditioned and told me, and that's mm-hmm. not. It's not, I'm not good at that. There are people who excel at that. Yeah. I I tend to gravitate towards like the lesser known people. Like those are the ones that I can do an impression of, but that's, so that, that creates a problem. (laughs) Just not getting like the, not getting the top, the top billing kind of stars, but I can at least hold my own with the character actors. I can do them, but that's. That's great though. That's a good asset to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And so so you've gone through all this all this great improv training. And I saw that one of your one of your early roles when I saw that it really kind of stuck out to me because it was Jesse Ventura's movie, Braxis. (laughs) Now, I have it's it's been so long since I've heard since I've heard that since I've seen that like the and just seen like Jesse Ventura in action like there. So what was what was that? What was it like working on a movie like that? It was one of my first movies. Mm-hmm. And I remember <laughs> I remember going to a small town outside of Toronto. It was sort of a place where there was a ski chalet. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you the thing that was about that movie. Sven Ole Thorsen, who I did my scene opposite, playing this sort of waitress, yeah. he was Arnold Schwarzenegger's body double. Whoa. So if you watch the movie, yeah. and everybody who's seen the movie goes, God, he reminds me of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. It, same accent. He's this big, bulky guy, striking looking man. Yeah. And uh, how do I put this delicately? He's he's an excellent wrestler, but mm-hmm. we went overtime a lot because English wasn't his first language. So I was very grateful for him because I made a lot of money. Yeah. We had to do this <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> that's what I remember about the movie. Oh, that's, that's great. A long time ago. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Oh, and I remember somebody didn't show up and the hairdresser had, there was another waitress in the scene. She had a smaller part. And as, after she did my hair, she gets into the waitress outfit because she happened to fit it. And she played the other waitress. She oh, that's was, fabulous. <laughs> it was one of those fly by the seat or your pants scenes, but I loved Sven Ole Thurston. And at the, I think at the time he was dating Grace Jones. Oh, wow. Two, oh yeah. It was, 
it was interesting. Yeah, you're getting memories flooding back in my my mind here. <laughs> oh, yeah, just I mean, just looking at just looking at your filmography, it just seemed like you know you were you were exactly doing what you should be doing, just get, getting out there as much as possible, getting, getting your name out there. Yeah, exactly, gaining that experience. And during those during those early times, like during like the 1990s and, and doing one thing, then this thing and then this thing and this thing, what wound up being like your favorite genre to work in? The one that I never followed, the one that I didn't care about, sci-fi. When I first went to audition, I have to say Lex because Lex put me on the map as a sci-fi. People call me an icon. I don't know about that, but because right. it was sort of before social media where the show didn't become as popular as some of the sci-fi shows nowadays. But mm-hmm. I disliked sci-fi. I didn't care about it. And then when I even reluctantly went to the audition, yeah. For it, I really didn't even want to go, but nothing was going on for me. Right. Uh, and booked it. And then I went, oh, this genre has a lot of meat mm-hmm. and potatoes. And especially for women, because at the time, the 90s was still, we were playing a lot of, as, as people joke around, the three phases of a woman's acting career is prostitute, stripper, assistant DA, and Miss Daisy. That's just <laughs> the women's acting career. And, <laughs> It's, that was that's wow. the joke with women actresses. Yeah, well, th- think about it. Yeah, and, I mean, it's, it's not wrong. Like, that's, <laughs> you hate to say that, but it's not wrong. Like, it's a little better now with Glenn Close and Meryl Streep and older actresses doing some amazing work. But with sci fi, there's so much meat within that. You can play an over the top character, like I played Jigarada the Wicked and Lex, and then you can do something like the collector which is a supernatural drama that i did which the acting style is very law and order and very procedural but they're all variations of a sci-fi show so Mm -hmm. that's the genre that turned me yeah yeah and as a as a sci-fi lover like anyone who who falls in love with sci-fi i'm just like welcome (laughs) (laughs) because that's that's something sci-fi is the genre that made me want to be a storyteller and i grew up with yeah i grew up with Star Wars. Like it was, I wasn't even a year old when the original one came out. So it was always going to be a part of my life. And it's the first, the overture is the first piece of music I ever remember hearing. And, and, and having sitting in the sitting in Lincoln center with John Williams conducting the Mm -hmm. orchestra, playing that like, I, and I went to hear him at the Hollywood Bowl because after the fact, like I said, I, I became a convert to sci-fi and went, didn't it send shivers up your spine? Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. It was such an amazing feeling because yeah. I, because he had done, he was doing this whole thing where he, act one was a tribute to Bernard Herman and then act two was a tribute to Steven Spielberg. Oh, and wow. so Bernard, all the Bernard Herman stuff was moderated by Martin Scorsese. And so he got to tell, he got to tell the story about how, about how Bernard Herman did the music for Taxi Driver. Yes. And he had these last three chords right at the very end of the movie. And Martin looked at him and just said, like, these don't really, these don't really work. And Bernard said, play them backwards. And then he, oh, and then he went home and died. Like it was like just an amazing, amazing experience getting to hear that story from Scorsese, like not on TV. He's he's in the same room. We're sharing the same space, kind of. I'm up in the balcony, but still. And I just remember I was trying to remember the move. He did the sight, the shrieking. Ah, 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 the shrieking oh, yeah. Yeah. Psycho. Yeah. He, yeah, he yeah, had yeah. they had he had there were suites for Psycho, North by Northwest, it's, obviously it's, Taxi Driver, just like all these this great stuff. And oh, then. And then it was, and then act two starts and and all of a sudden, like you just hear like a low rumble from, from the orchestra and all of a sudden you just hear, and everyone starts laughing. Like they're so dialed into it. And then of course, out comes the host for act two, Steven Spielberg. Whoa. Oh, you must've been going crazy. I was like, I I was like the goosebumps, like were on top of goosebumps. Like it was an amazing, amazing feeling. And then he played the suite for Close Encounters and the very oh. end of it, I felt myself getting a little overwhelmed. Yeah, like start- it, it, you get emotional. Yeah. And I knew as soon as that happened, because I knew E.T. was going to be later on in the oh. in the program. I was like, I'm going to be a mess with E.T. And I was because they had to play, the, they had to have the movie going on and it had to be the whole sequence at the very end with oh. the, the escape, the bikes, and then the yeah. spaceship 
And as soon as it landed, I felt like the tears coming. It was just like, here we go. And just, I know yeah. I, same thing happened to me. I know. Yeah. Well, yep. And then, and then, and then like for the encore, he starts playing the theme to the NBC nightly news and that gets everyone laughing. <laughs> just, oh yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then he, and then he just, he says like, thank you all for being here. And I know George Lucas can't be here, but, and then turns around, bam, and goes, goes right into the star Wars overture. And again, goosebumps on top of goosebumps. It was, ah, it was amazing, but okay. I feel like, I feel like I'm getting off on a tangent there. No, but, no, you know, no, no, the tangent I agree with, I'm on the same tangent. So the yeah. stuff moves you, it gets you. Yeah. And that genre just, it's. Like I said, it's what made me want to be a storyteller. It's what made me want to be a writer. And and then I see why. Yeah. And so so with all of that, like as you're as you're getting getting even more experience as you're going going along, one one uh, credit that really stuck out at me when I was looking at it was Eileen in Napoleon Dynamite. Oh wow. Well now going from like these extravagant worlds to a very kilter kind of world but at the but uh, but such a charming world as well so you and the fact that you got to be a part of that what was that like i have to tell you how i got that part because yeah. it segues about what you just talked about mm-hmm. chris wyatt who was one of the producers of napoleon dynamite was a huge fan of lex ah. and he had done a pilot sort of do you ever see that show mystery science theater absolutely I oh yeah Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> it's sort of a pilot of that where the two of us would criticize crazy, like the worst G Z B movies of all times. Nice. It never went anywhere, but he remembered me because we were so funny together. And he sent me this script for Napoleon Dynamite. And I said, I'm producing this movie. So he had interviewed me for a sci-fi magazine at the time called Cinescape, which is no longer. Mm, okay. And these were beautiful hard copy magazines. And now everything's online. Yeah. Unfortunately. And flash forward. So, from sci-fi, his fan of my work in sci-fi, he cast me, he, he offered me the part in mm-hmm. Napoleon Dynamite. And I read the script and I went, I've got to be honest with you. I said, what the heck is this? This is nuts. <laughs> yeah. But nobody, at, again, at the time, nobody was asking me to go to Preston, Idaho, just outside of Salt Lake City. They're going to fly me. I'm going to go on a trip. I'm going to see something different. Mm-hmm. What the hell? Right. And... Well, the rest is mega history, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's such it's such a like I said, a charming, a charming little film that really kind of took everyone by surprise. And just the fact that you got to be a part of that. I think that's that's awesome. And it's amazing because I love that it's the little engine that could meaning that there was no A-list movie stars in it. And it just appealed to a lot of people's inner nerds. Yeah. Like you said, it was a very unusual world. I love the way you put that. Mm-hmm. And kind of quirky and strange. And people, there was no apologies for the characters. They just were. And the, the, it just had something different that you'd never seen before. Yeah. And and it's almost like the story of that was unfolding on the screen was the story of the movie itself. Because... It just comes out of nowhere. It takes you. It takes you by surprise, and it leaves you kind of like you're, you're cocking your head a little bit at it, just wondering what to make of it. But something about it just wins you over, and so all of a sudden, everyone is up on their feet, like at the at the student body elections. So, uh-huh. same thing. Like everyone voted for Pedro with that. So, yes, they did. Yeah, yeah, voted with their money too. That's that, that was that's oh, a, that was. Boy, a, did they ever? Yeah. Yep, solid hit right there. That was great. So dynamite doll in plastic. I'm not opening it up. Smart. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, with with that, like everything else that, that you've been doing, you also went into a lot of voice acting. And yeah. I am just I am just chomping at the bit to get involved in that field as much as much as I can. And as I as I was telling you before we started recording, just my demo is incredibly ancient and it you know thankfully i have a, a terrific terrific voiceover artist who's working with me as a demo coach and okay. you know she's guiding me along with like what to what to pick what not to pick how long should each thing should should each one be because it's going to be more than just commercial and animation it's going to be more much more than that now so how did you get in that field because again like i'm i'm loving like all the different directions that you took 
my mother always said to me a long time ago, you need to do voice work. You have such a strong, interesting voice and you, you did Shakespeare and you're able to project and stuff like that. And I, and I never cared about it. And I was in Los Angeles at my commercial agent at the time, uh, Brady, Brandon and Rich. And she was, the head of it was sitting there and she said, do you need to do voice work? Right mm -hmm. next door is a voice agency that we work with a lot. They're one of the best. This was in Los Angeles on Wilshire Boulevard. Mm -hmm. She says, I'm going to walk your stuff into them, into them. I said, oh, I don't have any demos or anything. She said, yeah, but you've done a lot of work. And they have a lot of clients who do sci-fi because a lot of people who do video games have a great sci-fi and stage background. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. So they walked me in and they happened to have an appointment at the time because she was pretty prominent agent and I talked to them and they signed me and right away and started just getting auditions. And my first voice job was for the U.S. Army. Nice. About harassment and bullying in the army. And mm -hmm. uh, I still have it on my commercial reel because I love the spot. Yeah. And then I, my first video game, this was a, is Guild Wars 2, was Guild Wars 2. Oh, wow. And yeah, it was a good one. And I remember I was on vacation with my family. And this was before everybody at home studios. And I'd had a little crappy microphone that I took with me. And I remember I was in a hotel. Yeah. The ceilings were really hollow. Mm -hmm. And I remember lying on my belly under a comforter that I had propped up under an ironing board. Wow. We literally had a flashlight. And I kept telling, I remember my dad was alive at the time and he was very hard. He had a hard time keeping still and keeping quiet. To dad, oh, don't wrestle the newspaper. Let's just be as quiet as you can. And we would laugh about it. Yeah. And I literally, there was 14 characters and I went, I'm going to do all of them. I don't know. I didn't yeah. know anything about anything. And I, and I did all 14 characters and I ended up booking it. And I remember going to a callback in Studio City and it was none of the characters that I auditioned for, of which was so weird. So there was more. Yeah. And so, and then I started to really, that ended up becoming one of my favorite genres and voiceovers. Nice. Video yeah. yeah. And yeah, you've done, you've done quite a bit of those too, right? Yeah. I want to do more, but I like them and I'm working on a few now, which is good. So I can't, I can't tell you. Mm -hmm. and, um, but I, because as an actor, the challenges are so interesting and the parts are so great and, the extremes of emotions that you have to deliver at, on a dime. Mm -hmm. And you know, I actually coach uh, you know, and teach video game acting right now. Really? Uh, yeah, I've been doing it uh, for some major studios in Canada here on Zoom. And I keep telling people it's not about your voice. It's not about your voice at all. It's about acting. And I mm -hmm. keep telling people that you need to take acting classes because if you watch and listen to video games now, Mm -hmm. You know, they want cinematic performances like you are in The Walking Dead, you yep. are in, you're in Game of Thrones, you're in whatever. These are demand great actors. And somebody asked me the other day in a class, well, how do I know when I'm ready to put my video game demo together? And I said, when you can go into a studio, stand at the microphone, get mm -hmm. the script at that very moment, not the night before, and yeah. deliver a performance in one take, two at the most, and then go on to the next line. Wow. And so that's what he said. He said, oh, he said, yeah. I guess I'm not ready. And because you know what now more than ever, mm -hmm. they're so protective and rightly so of their properties. Yeah. That you don't, I have not, I've done five games in the last two years recently, and mm -hmm. I have never seen what I've done until I get on Zoom or in Source Connect in the, in the actual room. And actually I did one last week. My session was at three Mm -hmm. I was talking to the director like I'm talking to you now at 3.15. Yeah. The reel comes in. And I said, I don't even know what this is. He said, well, you're still not going to know what it is. I'm not, I can't tell you. <laughs> and I could tell by the language that it was a more classical fantasy kind of game because there was a lot of Shakespearean kind of words. Yeah. Still, sometimes when you're doing it, they don't tell you. Mm -hmm. So you got to fly. And again, back to the improv, even though with video games, you do not improv because you keep pretty much say what's on the page because after 10 years of people putting that world together, yeah, you know, you have to appreciate every word. Animation is a little bit more leeway, but even then in an audition, you can kind of ad lib more, but video mm -hmm. game pretty, you stick to the text. It's sort of like changing Shakespeare. You wouldn't yeah. do it. You wouldn't exactly. Do it. Exactly. Wow. So, yeah. Um, isn't that interesting, huh? That's yeah. got that's got to be such an, an amazing experience. Have you played any of the games that you've that you've been on? No, 
No. <laughs> Do they at least like give you a copy of it so you can just. Once somebody did, I think it was Elder, one of the Elder Scrolls online things. I've done several versions of those, a DLC content. Mm-hmm. But I, no, I haven't played it. <laughs> I haven't played it. And I have a couple of wonderful fans who I don't know how they know what I've played. I mean, as soon as they search IMDb or they send me stuff. So I'm I'm looking forward to for the next round of fans to figure out what I'm in and play it and send it to me. It's very thoughtful. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. yeah. And so doing doing the voiceover work and then getting into animation and doing doing all these different things. And now you know like all of a sudden you're doing a voice for Sailor Moon and then you're doing a voice for all these different shows. And then in 2019, I believe that's when all of a sudden you're taking a trip to a galaxy far, far away. Oh, now oh. yeah, oh. you're in my wheelhouse now. So tell us a little bit about you. You get it. You as Captain Phasma. Well, Lindsay Halper, Lindsay Perlman, the casting director. I love you. Mm-hmm. I tell that every day. I took a class because I believe even as a professional, you should always be tweaking and learning. Mm-hmm. So I took a class in video game acting and animation acting with this woman from Lo- Lucas Talent. Yeah. And she casts all, all of George Lucas dis slash Disney uh, shows like Star Wars and Resistance mm-hmm. and all, all of the Lego Star Wars and variations on all of those. And uh, I guess in the class, she heard something. Mm-hmm. Flash forward, I think two or three years later. She sent my agent an email saying, I'd like Ellen to play this role in this particular thing. Again, it was a pseudo name. Everything yeah. was a name. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking up some of the things and I'm, I speak to a friend of mine who's like, knows everything about geekdom in terms of things. And he said, <laughs> Ellen, this, this has got to be Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And then I got a sound alike of her, Gwendolyn Christie, in an yep. interview with Craig Ferguson, because at the time the movie what hadn't come out yet and they didn't want to release or else they didn't have it yet. Mm-hmm. Her, they didn't give her that many scenes to do in the movie, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. But they did. She had a presence to her, oh, you know, but, you know just the presence, even if you don't see her, she's yeah, just, just a badass know, character. Badass. <laughs> and I was a huge fan in game of Thrones. I mean, Hey, the woman is six foot three. She right. makes me look short and I'm five ten. So I, I was like, Oh, I feel petite next to this lady. Right. Uh, that show was so iconic in terms of watching people act and, and yeah. it became this sort of a touchstone of many of the acting roles you get on in voiceovers. So you see a lot of the Game of Thrones characters. Anyway, back to the Star Wars. So yeah. I said, oh my God, I don't do sound alikes because it's not my thing. You have to know your strengths. Yeah. Again, the challenge was to sound exactly like her. Mm-hmm. but also to do to honor her incredible acting. So I had a lot of pressure and yeah. I was scared mm-hmm, because I didn't think she obviously heard something when I did the class with her, which by the way, had nothing to do with star Wars. I didn't do any characters like that, but she's a good casting director. She heard something about yeah. the power, the power of the, the, the British, the elegance. I didn't even think I did a British accent. I didn't. And, and I remember studying her. I literally got it about a night before, the two nights before, studying her like crazy. And when mm-hmm. I got in the room, I was actually, this was before COVID, in person, yeah. I remember the sound engineer of Star Wars, the film, said, oh, my God, you sound exactly like her. So I knew nice. Oh, he had just finished working with her. And I felt, I said, I was really scared because mm-hmm. it's not something just coming off the top of my head. Right. I have to do an homage to her and mm-hmm. honor what she's about and also sound like her, but you can't just be a mimic or else it doesn't come across as a good actor. Yeah. And that's the difference. We're not mm-hmm. just being in a fe- I'm not spe- just being a female impersonator, mimicking how she sounds. Yeah. Get her nuances, but I've also, as an actress, have to know how she approaches a role. And mm-hmm. so it was very interesting. And Lego Star Wars was a little bit of a different approach with Star Wars Resistance. Lego Star Wars was a little looser. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's played for laughs. So it's going to yeah, like, yeah. it's going to, it's going to, it's going to bring in like a bunch of references and everything with some winks and nods. And, exactly. you know, and, and the pace is really is, is a lot faster than the typical animation as well. 100%. 100%. Yeah. So, but what? To be a part, somebody just said to me the other day, how does it feel to be a part of the two biggest worlds in sci-fi, Dune and Star Wars? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, 
forgot about that. It's but it's pretty. <laughs> I do my work. You don't think about oh my god, I'm part of the biggest universe. But then after the fact, you go oh my god, I'm part of the biggest universe. <laughs> yeah. Now, so so when you were working as when you were uh, working as Captain Phasma. Now before that, you had done some other things for Disney, correct? Like some uh, different narrations for. Yes, I yeah. ended up having probably one of the, my favorite jobs in the world. Again, this was an audition. And I'll tell you a funny story about that. I did an yeah. audition in my closet and sent it off as the 32nd audition. And mm-hmm. I remember getting the part. And I remember the casting guy who is fantastic, Brian Nevsky. I always remember people that I adore. And yeah. I remember coming to the big Disney studios in, in past Burbank. Mm-hmm. Can't think of the name in in L.A. in in Burbank, California, and it's very hush hush, and you have to sign all these NDAs because the studio. Oh my God! Oh, it's incredible. Mm, nice. And he says, "You weren't our first choice." I said, "Oh, okay." <laughs> he said, yeah, "Linda Hunt was our first choice," oh. and I said, "Okay, that, that's yeah. fine. That, that that's fine." And he said, "And you weren't our second choice." I said, okay. He said, yeah, Allison Janney was our second choice, but both of them were working. So you are a third choice. I said, thank you, God. <laughs> I'm very hey, happy. A couple of Oscar winners right, right yeah. before you. That's not bad company there. I'm like, <laughs> I'm fine with that. And yeah. I'll tell you, you were talking about John Williams and, and the shivers up your spine. Yeah. When, when Steve Davidson, who does all the incredible attractions at Disney, the world of color that I did for them mm-hmm. and the Disney 60th anniversary, when he played me the music and the London Philharmonic Orchestra and the children's choir, before, I actually burst out crying before I started doing the voiceover. And he said, that's the reaction we want. I said, yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of breath. He said, Take a moment, get a glass of water. And they knew they'd hired the right person. It was when you hear it in the park. And I had many friends who went to it. It's when you can send shivers up somebody's spine by a voiceover. That's I've done Mm -hmm. my job. So Disney, yeah, Disney's I've been very grateful to work for them. And God, what isn't that a dream come true? We're all children. Absolutely. Everyone wants to wants to be near the mouse. You know, so 100%. And I was very honored to work. And especially if you hear the Disney 60th anniversary, I think you can hear it on YouTube or see it on my website. Oh, nice. I'm, I'm acting opposite Dis- Walt Disney. They've edited Walt oh. Disney. I have a dialogue with Walt Disney in it. Wow. So they put him in there. So how cool is that? That is so cool. That's yeah. awesome. I, yeah, that would def- that would definitely be my favorite. One of my favorite gigs, too, getting something yeah, like it that. Was. It truly was. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And then like, and then, so you've gotten like this, all this, these kinds of experiences still doing, you're still doing like acting on camera at the same time. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So you're doing all that and then getting this, this amazing voice work. And then all of a sudden there's start, all of a sudden there is word that Dune is getting another shot at the big screen. And now, first of all, have, have, since I know you, you said that sci-fi didn't come to you until later, did you ever get to see the 1984 one? Yes, I did. Yeah. I saw it after the fact when, again, I had this audition for this weird thing. And I remember going, Quisette Hatterack or whatever. And I was like. Uh, Quisette Hatterack, yep. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, what the heck is this? Mm-hmm. So I Google it after my audition. I went, oh, boy. Yeah. This was in 2019, remember? So two years mm-hmm. ago, I did this audition. Yeah. And then when I booked it, I had to keep it. A, I kept it a secret from my own mother, which is pretty huge. Wow. And I looked it up and I went, oh, this is Dune. This is Dune. So I, th- I watched the 1984 movie with Kyle McLaughlin. Oh, wow. It was great. And Charlotte Rampling. Yep. It was pretty, pretty amazing. It was yeah. wacky as hell. And I still don't mm-hmm. know what I saw, but it certainly kept my interest. You will never it's- forget. It's such it's such a fascinating movie. Like it's something that I grew up knowing that it was like this big failure and everything. And it was a big fiasco. But then I and I watched it. I didn't watch it until years later. And I'm glad Ah, because I did, because that meant that I was old enough to comprehend what was going on. And the whole time I was able to follow the story. But man, Lynch put some amazing stuff in there and just it's it's one of those things where just like i can't recommend it for others but i love watching it (laughs) so i found it fascinating david lynch always has an interesting twisted view of life anyway and what there's a lot of good in it i mean i Mm -hmm. know 
that it was garbage, but when it's not garbage, it's actually yeah. kind of fascinating. It is. It is. And I mean, just so many different directions. No one would thought would think let's bring Toto in to do the score. You know, like, let's, <laughs> but at the same time, the score rocks. <laughs> it did rock. It did rock. Yeah. And, you know, I have not seen the new version yet. So, and I don't want to see it on television. I really don't. And I, I have not back in the theaters yet with COVID. Yeah. We're very strict here, more strict in Canada right now. So, but I, I will, I'm, it's going to be my first movie back for sure. Yeah. Uh, Oh, absolutely. That's got to be the one. Yeah. And I feel the same way because I haven't seen it yet. We have HBO Max. Yeah, I I would love to. I would love to immerse myself in it. But at the same time, it's just like I would love to get to a movie theater instead and 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 sit there and be in a movie theater again. It's been so long. And I'm just I'm just just so anxious to get back there. And a movie like that, a movie like Dune would be the movie to basically say, welcome back to the movie theater. I agree and, with you hundred percent. Yeah. I wish we we're in the same city. We could go together as a group. I know. Right. <laughs> like what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> and so, so even though, even though neither of us has seen it yet now, but you got to play, if I remember correctly, one of the voices of the Benny Gesserit. Yes. Yes. Now, what was that experience like? Oh, well, I got to work with, Theo Green, who's probably, he did Blade Runner, one of the most Mm -hmm. incredible sound supervisors in the world. And Denis Villeneuve's, another another Quebecois. (laughs) His vision is so incredible. And when I did, by the way, I did it right in this room. Really? See me here in my own home, in my pajamas, because it was the height of COVID. So studios were not open. So they tested out my sound. They said, oh, this is good. And I thought, this is good enough for Dune. I mean, I was like, I'm never leaving home. You know, just I'm never leaving home. I was in my <laughs> That's for your audience only. That's all your secret. That's a secret. There you and go. So we, it's between us, folks. Was it between us? And he didn't say at the time, they didn't say at the time what I was playing, but there were certain phrases that I had to say. And we played a lot. There was stuff that was very eloquent and elegant, like a Kate Blanchett and Lord of the Rings kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Then there was there was full on British. Then there was something what I call Mid Atlantic, which is in between British and American. Then I would do it American, and then there was some very lyrical phrases. And then we started to get into the possessed kind of otherworldly phrases and more demonic kind yeah. of you know uh, evil and scary. Which it's interesting at the time. It was my third demon in a row in a show. And I've got two other movies coming out. It was like Demon Week. And it was, it's not easy. It's not easy on your throat. And I'm not going to do it full out. Oh, yeah. um, And even though I know how to use my voice because I used to sing, but still. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I had, I had Neil Ross on the show a a while back. And he talks about like what he calls the throat rippers. And when he talked about creating the voice of Bone Crusher from Transformers, it was. You know, the, that kind of voice, like, I mean, I understood why Bone Crusher never talked much. <laughs> Just, no, it, it's a killer. And Neil is right. It's oh, he's a wonderful performer and, um, and, and a great guy, too. I, I'm, uh, st- I'm I'm blessed to say that he's been on my show twice. And yeah, it's yeah, I, I'm still the, the, the kind of caliber of guests that I've had on, on this show just still completely blows my mind. The fact that you're here blows my mind with everything well, we're here you've for done. you. We're here for you. I'm a uh, fan of you. And, yeah. you know, I, this, came, I, this came out of nowhere, but what it's meant to be, and, and I'm really happy to be here. You're, you're just so knowledgeable. So, yes, throat rippers. So yeah. we did a lot of throat rippers. And one thing I find as a woman that, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to do it here, but, and this happened in Disney as well, when I, I did scratch track on Moana. Mm-hmm. And oh, really? Was, yeah, there was a character that, was written out of the movie that actually Kate Blanchett was supposed to play. Oh, wow. Uh, a little secret. And it was a volcano that comes to life. Oh, nice. And she wanted it sort of very lyrical. And then all of a sudden she gets this humongous booming voice. And the first time I, as a woman, do this in front of a group of men and women, yeah. and I, can, I can literally tear the roof off like, like a lot of like the Fred Tattashores of yeah. the world, the voiceover world. And, they're very shocked because women don't generally do that. Mm-hmm. So the same thing happened when I did the demon voices for the gang at Warner Brothers and Legendary Pictures when they were on the on the Zoom call. Yeah. They just went, 
holy shit. We just <laughs> do not believe the power. I have a very, I can, I can tear, tear the roof off a building kind of voice. And a lot of it, and it's an asset, but it it's also a killer. But so then they knew, they said, oh my God, we've got it. And we did some whispering and literally the session was under half an hour. It was done. And uh, then I let it go. Mm -hmm. Then I started to see it come out in Europe. And so Uh I emailed Theo Mm -hmm. and I said, oh, this is amazing. I'm so proud of you. And this, and he said, Alan, you did such a great job. I said, when can I announce? He said, well, the premiere is going to be October the 22nd. Mm-hmm. He found a few things from Warner Brothers as to what I was allowed to say, which I'm very careful about. Mm-hmm. And I was allowed to announce and, and when I did on the 22nd. And we'll see what happens with the next round. I'm so thrilled for the gang that they're going to do a part two. Yeah, I, I was I was thrilled to hear that. It was It's just one of those things. I mean, like this is definitely... One one of those passion projects, Mr. Villeneuve knew exactly what he what he wanted with this, and he brought his vision. I can't wait to see it. I'm I was so captured by the trailers alone. So having the opportunity to see that in a theater, I'm still like just so so on edge. I cannot wait to lose myself in this. <laughs> it's 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 fun to see people's reactions when you do something so iconic it's part of their their growing up it's part of it's mm-hmm. a part of the huge mythology of sci-fi yeah. to be a part of a star wars or dune mm-hmm. or to get to do a pilot and work with uh, walter koenig from yeah. star trek these and when you tell people it's kind of like wow i'm 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 checking off this little bucket list yeah so so speaking of the bucket list what else is in there that you that has not come out of, of that has not been put into the bucket yet. Well, I would like to do an on camera Star Wars. Nice. And uh, I think that would be really, really cool. And I don't know if they're ever going to make a, a remake Star Trek or a version of that. That would be kind of fun. Or I never got to do any of those shows. I'd have to. Oh, I know. I'd like to do Firefly. I'd like them to redo that Ooh. Or, or Red Dwarf or something interesting like that. I can definitely see them giving Red Dwarf another shot. You know, like yeah, I can, you know. or Doctor Who. That's oh, Doctor Who would be. Yeah, that's yeah. actually that would be my first choice because I just started watching that again last in the last couple of years. I'm very behind. So I'm catching up on the old ones and the mm-hmm. new ones. And I'm still trying to figure out who my favorite one is yet. I don't know. They're all yeah. very I like David Tennant. I like a lot of them. They're really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, so with that, with that in mind, like cons- since you you've done so much, you've done like all these different fields, you've all these different genres and everything. You've gotten yourself everywhere, which is still <laughs> just amazing to me. Say there's someone who wants to get into into acting in general, someone who has seen you, and they have their lightning bolt moment by seeing you or hearing you. Yeah. What would you say? They come up to you and say, like, I want to do this. I want to go in in this direction. What's the first thing that you would say to them? I get this question a lot lately. And well, this is what I'm going to save people 10, 12 years of agony. Mm -hmm. First of all, do not run. This is going to sound corny, but this is so true. Do not try and figure out what everybody else wants. Mm -hmm. Stick within your own lane because... I call it like like a fingerprint, your voice print or yeah. your you know, your own thing. What people told you in school not to do, what people told you that you're to this, to that, don't do this, don't do that. That's the stuff that makes you special. That's your special sauce in the recipe. So there's no other person like you, George. There's no other person like me. There's no other person like Sam, Sue, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I would tell them to, I really think the theater to audition for a theater piece or go watch theater, take some acting lessons in on Zoom now because there's not a lot of in-person stuff. Even mm-hmm. if you're in um, Wichita, Kansas, if you're in Italy in a small town, you can take a class with any teacher in New York, any teacher in Toronto, Vancouver, Chicago, whatever. Everything is online right now. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, let's say, voiceover. I would start with either a basic animation class or a basic voiceover class, how to approach it, the mm-hmm. nuts and bolts of acting in a commercial for voiceover or in a narration. Yeah. Or in a, it's, everything is acting. 
Mm-hmm. Everything. If you do a commercial, if you do a promotion tonight on Fox, see, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. There's a whole, all of them are different, but all mm-hmm. of them come from your guts and your soul and how you're going to do it and how I'm going to do it are going to be different because we're going to put our own personal spin on it. So Absolutely. I get into an acting class. And nowadays there's reasonable acting classes because they're not in person mm-hmm. and watch a lot of theater and watch stuff on YouTube. I watch, I'll watch Benedict Cumberbatch do some motion capture as a lizard. He's got this great reptile that he does on his belly. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah smog. Yeah. Smog. Well, it's freaking incredible. You can learn so much watching. Like if you are interested in video games, Watch real dispatchers on, on, on a TV show or in real life, you can put on police stuff on, on camera and watch like 911, what's your emergency? And mm-hmm. you'll hear how real people talk or, or on the move, get down, move, move, move. You'll hear soldiers speak or war in Afghanistan. Those are the people you should be studying real people. So you know how they sound in a video game because it's so realistic as I started off by saying that. Study people, watch yeah. people. Watch YouTube videos and then start listening to yourself. And if you have trouble reading out loud, which some people do, just take stuff, copy off of the Internet, start Mm. reading narration pieces just so you can get stuff coming trippingly off your tongue, which means easily because a lot of people are uncomfortable. It's called cold reading, reading Mm -hmm. quickly and fast. And you have to be able to do that. And if you want to start putting stuff together, get a really good, reliable coach who has worked in the industry, Mm -hmm. not somebody who's not worked in the business because they got to have been in the trenches. I truly believe that. Yeah. That they have gone and get somebody who specializes. Like if you want to be somebody who does cartoons, Mm -hmm. get somebody not somebody who only does audiobooks. Not that there's anything wrong with audiobooks, right. because that's a whole other field, and you should get somebody who trains in audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Get somebody who specializes in that. Like I do almost every genre, but the only one that I'm comfortable teaching is video games right now. Yeah. And I, I mean, yes, I can hear. I'm judging a big voiceover contest right now called the Ultimate VO Survivor, and mm-hmm. I've listened to all kinds of different genres. But it's truly my specialty right now. I'm the most comfortable. So as an actor, I would tell people, think of yourself as an actor first. Mm-hmm. Don't think about the fact that you can do a million funny voices yeah. because that's not going to get you work. Mm-hmm. What's going to get you work is when you're doing funny voices, but you are an incredible actor. Mm-hmm. Agents Absolutely. don't want you to go, hello, hi. They don't care about that right. because a lot of people do that. They care about you creating a scene. If you're a funny owl, let's say, and you're meeting a doggy, a little doggy in the park, and you're going to have a chat, like, what's your relationship? Where'd you just come from? What's your objective? Even in cartoons, all these crazy acting terms still apply. Mm -hmm. And take and read, take singing. You don't have to be a great singer, but a lot of animation has singing. There's just, there's a lot of things you can study online now. We're very fortunate that we can research it. Absolutely. Coach is important. Absolutely. Awesome. And I know where I can find you on social media, but where can, where can my listeners find you? I think it's at Ellen Dubin actor on Instagram. Don't go to Mm -hmm. Twitter because unfortunately I've been hacked. I'm waiting to work through that. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. yeah, not good. And Facebook, the same thing and Instagram, but I'm going to give you an email and I'm actually, I respond to every single person if they have a question and mm-hmm. I named it after my first video, my first sci-fi character, Jigarata. So it's G-I-G-G-E-R-O-T-A-100, Jigarata100, mm-hmm. 100, 100 at AOL.com, Jigarata100 at AOL.com. And if you forget that, you can always go to IMDB and look me up. I have that as an other email. And nice. if you have any questions, I truly answer every email myself. Oh, fabulous. I that do. Is- I'm very, very, I'm very giving because I believe, I want to say people, the aggravation that I went through meeting a lot of. <laughs> oh man. Don't and- let anybody tell you what you can't do. That's another thing. Oh, yes. Yes. That's right. And that's it right there. That is the absolute perfect exclamation point that I can even imagine for that, for this discussion. Do not let anyone tell you what you can't do because Ellen has proven herself to 
not only go in this direction, but then she's gone in this direction and this direction and this direction. And it's an amazing run. She is not letting anyone pin her down in one specific role, one specific genre, whatever. She is going through as much as possible. She is not letting anyone tell her what she can't do. And I hope that all of you take that to heart. Do not let anyone tell you what you can't do. And you are just going to amaze yourself when you let go of any sort of inhibitions and just see where where the world takes you. So for Ellen Dubin, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward, and I will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. Please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com. 